Welcome to Pardes Daily, where you get your daily dose of Torah with Pardes faculty. For the next two weeks, Pardes is bringing Purim to you. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to installment number five. This is Svi Hirschfield of the Pardes Institute, bringing you another thinker, another big idea on Purim. Today, we have the privilege of learning a drasha in address written by Rav Moshe Avigdor Amiel. Rav Amiel grew up in Eastern Europe. He studied at Tells. He received smicha at the age of 18. Big Tamid Chacham. And early on, already as a young man in his 20s, he became a leader in the uh, religious Zionist movement, the Mizrahi movement, one of the first rabbis in Eastern Europe to wholeheartedly support Zionism as a political movement. Uh, to such a degree that Rav Amiel in 1936 accepts the position as chief rabbi of Tel Aviv, Yafo. Uh, his primary competitor for that role was a another rabbi named Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik. Uh, Rav Amiel got the job. Rav Soloveitchik ended up staying in America and, of course, remaining as Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshiva University and training a whole generation, multiple generations of American Orthodox rabbis. So Rav Amiel published, or was published after his death, I believe, a series of drashot on the holidays, and uh, this is one that he wrote or delivered for Purim. So I'm going to translate a paragraph or two for you and then uh, go over some of the big ideas that he addresses here. Megillat Esther, he Megillat HaGalut HaYechida. Rav Amiel says that the book of Esther is the only sort of book about diaspora, about exile. And indeed, all the other Migilot are all, he says, filled or soaked through with the uh, the the air of the land of Israel. And uh, they even speak to us about the building of Zion, just like Shira Shirim and Kohelet and Ruth speak to us about uh, uh, Zion, the building of the land of Israel. And even Megillat Echa, the book of Lamentations, is in any event about the, uh, the the former glory uh, and wonder and beauty of in olden days of Jerusalem and of Israel. The book of Esther is the only one from beginning to end which is embedded in Galut, in exile. The book begins with, these were the days of Ahasuerus, and it finishes with, an Ahasuerus placed a tax on all the land. And behold, although we are only the raw material in the hands of the artist or the creator, Achashverosh does as he wants, and he decrees as he wants, and he even decrees, under Haman's influence, to destroy and eliminate and kill from uh, the, the child until the elderly, women and children on one day. And he also gives permission, when he decides to, to give the Jewish people the chance to gather and to defend ourselves and to defeat our enemies, meaning it is a book that is suffused with exile and how our future is so much in the hands of this foreign king. I'll continue with my translation. Uh, this, this Megillah is short in length, but it is long in its content and in its value, as long as the days of the Galut. And he basically is telling us here that the book of Esther has within it instructions, if you will, for how the Jewish people need to maintain themselves and their existence, our existence, during this time of exile. And I would go on to say even beyond that, 
even in life in general. And he begins uh, with the insight, which he builds on the idea of reading the Megillah at night and during the day, whereas nighttime sort of represents a time of difficulty and tragedy, and daytime a time of good times, of, of peace and joy and positive things. And he makes the point that Mordechai is not bowing down. Mordechai lo yichra he didn't bow down to the wicked. And he makes the point that sometimes it's actually easier for Jews not to bow down when things are bad as opposed to when things are good. I think he's sort of making a little comment here about that exile from a perspective of sort of Jewish particularism and our ability to withstand outside pressure, in a way it's easier for us if the outside world doesn't like us. As opposed to when things are good, then we have this tendency, he is saying, to respond to that good by uh, by bowing down, if you will, or in this case, sort of abandoning our essence and our identity. And that's why he, he, he focuses in on the pasuk of Ishuhudi, that Mordechai is described as an Ishuhudi, meaning that Mordechai was unashamed of his identity. Everyone knew he was Jewish. He did not try to hide who he was. And he builds on that point saying that one of the most painful episodes for Esther is that unlike her uncle, Esther has to hide her identity. Esther has to uh, be hidden. And her name, Esther, which the rabbis already make a connection, even though, of course, it's a Babylonian or a Persian name, they, they connect it to the Hebrew uh, Haster, that God will be hidden. That Esther, Seter, means hiddenness, and Esther had to be hidden. And Rav Amiel writes here somewhat beautifully how there is nothing more painful than not being seen. That the person who experiences life and can't be seen for who they really are, either because of fear or any other reason, what a painful experience that could be. And I think he's reflecting on Jews living in exile and feeling ashamed or not being seen in any kind of positive way for their Jewishness by the outside world. I think he's also speaking to Jews who, for various reasons, have to hide their identity or are ashamed of their identity. But I also think that there's a very profound human lesson here. The idea that uh, when we're not seen, how lonely and sad and painful that is. And in a way, it kind of builds on the idea of costumes on Purim. Costumes on Purim are only fun when we know that we're, they're costumes. In other words, when, when, when our lives are costume, when people really don't get a chance to see us for who we are, uh, it is lonely and painful. The other element that Rav Amiel brings up here, which I think is also quite interesting and important, is the idea that another element of the Book of Esther is, is the capriciousness of politics. That here Mordechai at the start of the story is a big hero. He, he discovers a palace coup and he gets the instigators and he stops a rebellion. And yet, who is rewarded in the next chapter? It's not Mordechai. Haman, the great hater of the Jews, is elevated. And just when we think things are so terrible, uh, the capricious wheel turns again, and, and Ahasuerus decides to side with Mordechai and Esther and the Jewish people. And I think there's something very powerful in this image that our belief somehow that politics can save us 
uh, I think Rav Amiel is suggesting to us that one of the messages of Purim is that politics and political wheeling, dealing and connections, that's not at the end of the day, the source of our salvation. Yes, it's necessary. Yes, we have to live in the world. But we make a mistake in thinking that somehow uh, political maneuvers, even for the good, will ultimately bring our salvation. The political power and political authority is ultimately quite corruptible, and we can't rely on it as a source of permanent and ultimate goodness. I now want to turn towards what I think is the most powerful passage of uh, of the whole piece, and that's where he talks about what he sees as really the hidden power of the Jewish people as an interplay between past and present. And he says as follows, the memory of the past, of which we are commanded in the Torah of Moshe, remember the days of old and contemplate the years and generations that have passed. This indeed is what accompanied us from place to place. And as long as we have had our historical memory, and it has not departed from our hearts, we are certain that we will never lose hope. On the other hand, however, we should not go too far in this respect. Indeed, the remembrance of the past is very dear and uplifted to us. But we cannot, for a moment, only focus on the past. There is indeed a present and a future, in both in the life of the nation and the life of the individual. And just as the individual, if he focuses himself too much on the past and does not at all want to consider his present or his future, he will quickly be removed and disappear from the world. So, too, the destiny of a nation that only has its earlier times to focus on or think about. And he goes on to say how the Jewish people's secret has been to be both to build and remember our past, but to always look towards the future. And he gives us the example, the Vav HaHipuch, this grammatical fact that the Vav can change the grammatical tense. And it can change the tense from future a future to a past or past to a future. And he notices that the very book begins, that it took a future tense and turned it towards the past. Meaning that the Jewish people living in Shushan and throughout the exile, perhaps, had focused too much on the past and had not given enough thought to their future. And that that's hidden sort of as a reference in this Vav HaIpuch, that we have turned our future towards the past. And he admonishes us here and reminds us that as much as we have to be rooted in the past and connected to the past, the Jewish people must always, always, always have an eye towards our future. And I think for Rav Amiel, this is also a central message of Purim, that the survival of the Jewish people will have to always remain a balance between a reflection and remembrance and a rootedness in the past, and at the same time, always maintaining an eye on the present and the future. That the Jews of Shushan, he's saying, got in trouble because they were only reflecting on the past glory of the Jewish people and not thinking enough about how the Jewish people were going to maintain and, and survive, even thrive in this new historical circumstance. And at the same time, their hopes for the future 
remained rooted in the past vision that eventually there would be a restoration to the land, a rebuilt Beit HaMikdash, and a renewal of the greatness of the Jewish people. So Purim for Rav Amiel is this combination, I think, of hard-eyed realism, acceptance of the present and recognizing it for what it is, at the same time, a rootedness in the values and traditions and stories of the past, but a genuine desire to build towards a greater future. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next time. Thank you to our Pardes faculty, and a big thanks to you, our learners. Make sure to check back in every day to stay on track with your learning and visit www.pardace.org.il for more information about other ways to learn with Pardace.